I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we're going to meet the unicorn of the sea! Plus the special guest is joining us for our fun flipper fact. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. So everybody, it's very exciting. It's a brand new year. It's 2020. And really, it's not for any of those reasons, but we're very excited that we're going to be talking about narwhals, narwhals causing a commotion, living in the ocean because they are so happy. I think I got that wrong. That's okay. We're talking about narwhals. Yay. (laughs) Yay. And Lindsay, why are we talking about narwhals other than that they are awesome? Because of our Patreon. Uh, we had a poll in the fall, and one of the write-in options was narwhals, so we said, we are going to do narwhals for that person. So thanks for voting, everybody. Um, Patreon is a site where you can easily support projects like Whale Tales for as little as a dollar a month. You can get access to perks like uh, exclusive weekly newsletters and polls and uh, merch discounts. The support of our patrons really means a lot to us uh, and helps us run the uh, our website and our podcast. So... Thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you very much, patrons. We love you. Yay. We love patrons and we love narwhals, um, despite the fact that none of us have ever actually seen a real live one. That's nope. okay. That's going to happen. One day. One, one day. Um, <laughs> so let's get started with uh, fast facts. Sarah, can you tell us the, the basic fast facts about narwhals? Go. Yes. Before I get into the fast facts, I would like to just point out that our show notes say <laughs> that we love narwhals despite never having, having actually been one. And I think that's a really great typo. And I wanted to preserve it here. <laughs> I also noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I obviously, being the one who wrote it, didn't even notice that at all. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> so live, cute. trying to live your dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So narwhals. Narwhals are toothed whales, and they live in the Arctic, and they have one very distinctive feature, which is a tusk, which is a protruding canine tooth. The adults weigh 800 to 1,600 kilograms, or 1,760 to 3,530 pounds. The males are larger than the females, which is pretty normal with... um, two cetaceans at least mm-hmm. the in length they range from just under four meters to about five and a half meters or 13 to 18 feet and that length is um like snout to tail does not include their tooth slash tusk it's like their body size um in the arctic they eat mostly arctic cod greenland halibut and then other fish such as other kinds of cod cuttlefish shrimp squid um they live mostly in the fjords and inlets of northern Canada and western Greenland, but they're, they extend a bit beyond that. Uh, their global status is least concern, which is great. Um, they have a population estimate of about 170,000, which is a lot. But most people have not seen narwhals because they live in very remote areas. So if you, like us, have not seen one and uh, you are too lazy or too enraptured in our podcast to open up Google and bring up a picture of one, picture a beluga whale that is spotted with a big horn looking thing. It's a unicorn. Yeah, it's yeah. a beluga it's unicorn. A, that's it's spotted. a beluga unicorn. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, True. Yeah. But... It is not actually a horn. Or, I mean, it does get called a tusk often. 
Um, but truthfully, it is a tooth. And mm-hmm. Linz, can you tell us about the tooth since it is the most defining characteristic of the narwhal? Yeah, I wonder if it would get called the tusk if walruses didn't live right next to narwhals. Maybe. Maybe. And then they just were like, we need to come up with a name for it. What? What's over there? That's probably what happened. So, oh, <laughs> I uh, this. just see that conversation. Right. Yeah. With the very confused scientists from the 1700s or whatever. <laughs> um, so, this tooth that we all know. Yeah, is usually the left canine tooth, which is uh, kind of weird and um, has some stuff to do with like weird symmetry and stuff. Um, it projects from the left side of the upper jaw through the lip and forms a helix spiral, which is also really cool when you think about it. It's I don't know if anyone's ever thought about like unicorn horns and what they would look up up close. Um, but yeah, this one's a spiral, so that's really nice and extra pretty. And it's basically um, just like a giant upper lip piercing. Yeah, yeah, they're hardcore, yeah. hardcore whales. <laughs> Um, so the tusk uh, grows throughout life and can reach a length up to uh, over three meters, which is over 10 feet, which is kind of insane. Uh, that's really long. Um, that's like three hobbits stacked on top of each other. (laughs) Um, and it's hollow and weighs about 10 kilograms or 22 pounds, uh, which would make sense because it's really long. Um, about one in 500 males have two tusks occurring when the right canine also grows out through the lip. And so those guys are like extra, extra hardcore. Um, and about 15% of females grow a tusk, which is typically smaller than the male tusk and has a less noticeable spiral, which is random because you'd think it would still grow the same way, but whatever. Um, and in 1684, there was one known case of a female growing a second tusk. So I guess that just doesn't happen because if it hasn't been seen since 1684, it's just not going to happen. No. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) It's also worth pointing out that the narwhal, while often confused for like the cousin of a unicorn, because I could see the misunderstanding there, um, their teeth were also, when they were found, especially if they were found maybe not attached to the body of a narwhal anymore, uh, were just thought to be actual unicorn horns. And back in the 16th century, uh, in the story that I just love, (laughs) uh, Queen Elizabeth I was gifted a carved and bejeweled narwhal tusk that was worth 10,000 pounds at the time, which is the equivalent of about two and a half million dollars today, by Sir Humphrey Gilbert, who just told her it was a unicorn horn. And she hung it in her castle. And, you know, it's probably still there. In a room somewhere. Probably still somewhere. Yeah. 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 So often, when people see the picture of a narwhal and they see the big tusk, they, you know, naturally start to wonder, well, so, like, what do they use it for? And frequently, people who I have talked to about narwhals, their first thought, because they don't think past the actual, like, practical way in which this would work, is, well, they obviously use it for food. And then you only have to take it one step further to be like, yes, you could shish kebab a fish with that, but they don't have arms to, like, 
grab the fish off of the tub. Have you ever thought that they're very communal feeders and so they shish kebab a fish and then their narwhal buddy takes it off and it's like a big shared kebab thing? Have you ever thought about that? I have, mm-hmm. yes. I would love it if that was true. Um, but unfortunately, likely not. There is still quite a lot of debate and quite a lot of mystery to add to the whole, you know, mysterious sea unicorn thing about the actual uses of the tusk, but there have been a number of studies and there is some definitive uses uh, about it, though there's likely others that we haven't discovered yet in science. So Sarah, can you tell us one of the uses of the tusk? Yeah, so the tusk, uh, like our teeth, has lots of nerves. Uh, And because it's so big, it's got millions and millions of nerve endings. And they are, as you could probably tell, in um, close contact with all the seawater around them. So they're able to use the those uh, nerves all along their tusk to help sense temperature, salinity, maybe like currents or movement in the water, and that can help them determine the movements of pack ice, which is a pretty important thing to understand if you are living in the Arctic. So they don't get trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except that they do uh, still get uh, trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it helps them avoid, but not a hundred entirely prevent getting trapped in the pack ice. Yeah. Um, and in 2014, there was a paper published that suggested the rubbing of tusks together by male narwhals is thought to be a method of communication um, and providing information about the characteristics of water each has traveled through, um, rather than what they used to think, which was a posturing display of aggressive male-to-male rivalry, which is what I would suspect... Um, and it might still I don't be know that how thing. they know it. Yeah, they don't. I don't know how they think it's about the characteristics of the water instead of just generic information communication. Like that's very specific for whale communication. Yeah. Like I've been to this estuary. Have you been to this estuary before? <laughs> that's where I came. Yeah, from. it's like this one. This one is brown and has many squids. <laughs> you should go there. Like, I don't know. Or maybe it's um, both. And they're like, this one's really good. There's lots and lots of females over there. And then they go and there's nothing. And then the other novel's like, sorry, I'm over here. <laughs> Just doing all the mating. Woo! <laughs> it could be any of those things. It could. It could. We don't know. Um... What we do know is that although it's highly unlikely that they are not shish kebabbing fish and then feeding their buddies, (laughs) as much as we would all love that to be so, in an August 2016 study using drones, they saw videos of narwhals surface feeding in Tremblay Sound in Nunavut, and they were slapping the tusks on the surface of the water to basically, like, stun through shock all of the Arctic cod in the area. So the vibrations of slapping the tusk along the surface of the water, I don't know if it has anything to do with like the helix pattern, the spiral, and how that could affect ripple. I don't know. I don't know enough about physics to understand this. But basically, that slapping motion was able to stun a small number of cod surrounding the narwhal so that they were obviously easier to catch. Might have something to do with feeding after all, but probably not shish kebab. Yeah, because they're not that sharp. No. Like, to be able to pierce a fish. Well, and now I'm just thinking, I'm like, how many of them get their eyes poked out? <laughs> yeah. And they're just, like, all together. <laughs> um, Sarah, what is your favorite thing about narwhals? 
My favorite thing about narwhals is, um, if you remember back to our beluga episode, we talked about how they have flexible necks. And narwhals, being closely related to belugas, also have flexible necks. So they are able to um, move their head back and forth, which is very unusual for cetaceans. It's very common for uh, land mammals, but very unusual for marine mammals. And uh, just the image of that, I've never seen it, (laughs) but the image of like, a beluga moving its neck back and forth and then add a, you know, 10-foot tusk <laughs> onto the end of that. Just sounds delightful and also potentially terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're just, like, really good fencers. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, what's your favorite blue, uh, narwhal fact? I don't know. I think there's just, they're so cool. I really like their coloration, which nobody ever talks about because they're so distracted by the tusk, obviously, judging by this podcast. But they're like kind of a blue gray and they're spotted like we said and they're just really pretty and it's interesting to look at them because they have a very similar habitat overlap with belugas and belugas are of course white which we you know blends in with the ice and the snow and all of their habitat but narwhals are not so what's that about and they're just really pretty and we have some really nice photos that are not ours or any of our storytellers because we haven't seen a narwhal yet but Their photos exist, and they're really nice to look at, even without their crazy long spirally horn. And also, like, similar to the belugas, even though they are spotted their whole life, they also get lighter as they get older. So when they're born, they're, like, really, really dark, almost, like, completely uniform in color, and then their spots come out, and they're really spotted, and then those spots just get lighter and lighter as they get older. Yeah, so it's really cool. Nicole, what's your favorite thing about narwhals? Um, I mean... Everything that we've already talked about, <laughs> but uh, my actual favorite thing about narwhals has nothing at all to do with narwhals and everything to do with the movie Elf, because um, the narwhal that you see at the beginning-ish of that movie as, spoiler alert, Will Ferrell's elf buddy is leaving the North Pole, is my favorite maybe character in everything ever made. <laughs> And he just, he's so happy and so helpful and so, you know, empathetic to Buddy the Elf. He just pops out of the water and he's like, bye, buddy, hope you find your dad. And then he's like, bye, Mr. Narwhal. And I just love it. It makes me so happy. Um, So I think maybe my favorite thing about Narwhals is just how easily they end up in pop culture because they're awesome. Fair. Mm-hmm. I will I say like that it. that Narwhal is not appropriately colored. Um, it's quite purple. Yes. Yeah, but if you and if you're looking for uh, more commentary on belugas or whales in animals in pop culture, check out our other podcast, Nature Finds a Way. We should also say that um, a Nature Finds a Way is awesome, and b not only is that narwhal not appropriately colored, also its tooth is not in the appropriate and no, no, neither are its eyes. No. Also, they don't speak English as far as we know. Okay. But none <laughs> of that takes away from its charm. True, 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 true. true. All right, now it's time for Nicole's favorite part. Yes, it is my favorite part. It's time for Fun Flipper Fact with special guests. So I did not have to research or deep dive into anything this week because we have a special guest joining us for our Fun Flipper Fact today. Can you tell us who that is, Liz? Uh, yeah, so our special guest is Rob Lang from Underdone Comics, and he's going to give us some really cool Fun Flipper Facts. Take it away, Rob. 
So I'm here with Rob Lang from Underdone Comics, and he is our special guest today for our fun flipper fact. Rob, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I make Underdone Comics, as you said. Um, it's a nature comic, and I try to talk a lot about um, convergent evolution and um, biodiversity and why it's so important and um, try to make people feel guilty for a lot of their actions, <laughs> which is kind of sad. <laughs> yep, that's fair. <laughs> Great. I love your comics. They may always make me laugh. And I always learn something, too, which is a great bonus. I love to learn things uh, from social media posts because it's it's I like I like to call it sneakily educating people, which we do at Whale Tales all the time. And I don't know if anyone has noticed until right now. I've given away my secret. <laughs> um, so, Rob, you do a lot of stuff with all sorts of different animals, but you have been doing uh, some cetacean ones. Do you want to tell us one of your favorite facts that you've discovered when you're doing your comics? Um, yeah, sure. There, there's just so many. Uh, I decided to um, end the year um, calling it Decembeaked Whale Month, <laughs> as much as the stretch as that is. Um, and it was really fun looking into the beaked whales, which pretty much nobody knows very much about. Um, but they do have some interesting features that um, people have discovered pretty much just by finding dead ones on the beach. Uh, for instance, you can tell them apart pretty well by their weird teeth. Um, or one of the one of my favorites is called the ginkgo tooth beak whale, and it has teeth shaped just like a ginkgo uh, leaf, which is really oddly. And also the the Cuvier's beaked whale uh, dives deeper than any known cetacean, um, even deeper than the than the mighty sperm whale, which I made a comic about as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing that one. Yeah, they, they're they pretty crazy. Some of the depths that beak whales get to are um, pretty intense. Yeah, and the adaptations that they have are really cool for that. And then the, the strangest one, I think, is the strap-toothed whale, which once they reach a certain age, the males have teeth that actually overlap over the top of their beak, and they, they well, scientists think that they can barely open their mouths to eat, so they do some sort of slurping motion for squid or something i don't know i don't know how they get so big just by doing that but i don't know if anybody knows like why would you adapt to have that like why would you evolve to have something like that that's so weird but yeah we've been talking about narwhals in this episode and we don't really know what that's about either so cetaceans man they're a mystery and um and the more i look into them um and you read about strandings and um how they uh how they uh, have to look into their stomachs to see what they ate, usually big chunks of plastic sheets and stuff that wind up yeah. starving them to death. But they always talk about the different chambered stomachs. And it reminds me that they're really kind of, they're, they're ungulates. So it's like a bunch of cows in the ocean that became very smart and just took over the place down there. It's really interesting. We do talk about how they are so closely related to ungulates, but I never really thought about their digestive systems in that respect, but that's a very true point. It's so random. Oh, that's great. Do you have any more, um, do you have any, like, big numbers or anything that you can share? Like, the Cuvier's um, maximum depth that we know about or anything like that? I do if I look at my comic that I made, because I don't remember <laughs> numbers very well. Okay, um, yeah, apparently they can dive to 9,816 feet, to be precise, or 2,902 meters. Wow, that is... That's insane. And it's just, yeah, like 
because it could be deeper and we just don't know because how are we supposed to study that like that's amazing thank you so much for sharing do you have anything um exciting new whale comics coming up or anything i well since i since i looked so much into the beak whales over the last month i'm kind of taking a break but you never know what Mm -hmm. might pop into my mind you know um so i'm i'm probably gonna keep my thoughts on land for a little while but i might go back underwater in my brain do you have anything else you want to talk about you can tell uh our followers our listeners where they can find you on social media sure i'm at underdonecomics.com but on social media um of course there's instagram is probably the best place to see my work and facebook underdone comics and twitter as well um so uh just go to those places and i try to upload new stuff at least twice a week but and I definitely make posts um, every day for my Instagram stories because I post a daily poll that Mm -hmm. people find really interesting so (laughs) yeah no that's great and we'll we'll uh, link to those in our show notes as well as we'll probably share some of your comics in the coming couple of weeks on our social media as well Um, so everyone can learn and see your great comics about cows versus whales (laughs) yeah thank you that's great thank you so much Rob Okay, my pleasure. Keep up the great work. Oh, thank you. Ugh, so cool. I know. Whales are cool, (laughs) y'all. So thank you to Rob for sharing that and also sharing your art with us. It's always really awesome to see. If you, listener, have other questions that you would like us to ask, Fun Flipper Fact is no longer going to be the only place that we can answer your random questions because... We are doing a mailbag episode. We are going to be putting together our first ever frequently asked question answer episode. (laughs) FAQA episode um, that is going to come out a little bit later this year. So deadline for you to send us your questions is February 7th. And then the three of us are going to record our answers to a bunch of questions that you send in. And we can't wait to hear what you want to know about whales, dolphins, and porpoises. And also, maybe us and whale tails. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, We are also going to be doing a poll for our fun flipper fact for the end of February. But you can't can't vote on what that is unless you're a patron. So uh, head on over to patreon.com slash whale tails and join us for as little as a dollar a month. And you get to vote in our poll for our next episode and maybe it'll be a whole episode like this one turned into instead of just a fun flipper fact yeah never yeah who knows we never know where things are gonna go uh you know where we go though where we should go back to whenever we have time and money uh monterey we love monterey um so yes we went to monterey a couple times and one of those times sarah what did we see So our most recent trip to Monterey together was in September of 2016, and we went out on a big day-long, like, eight-hour whale-watching trip with Monterey Bay Whale Watching, and we were super excited. We thought we might maybe see some blue whales or some other super rare stuff. Um, They'd been seeing blue whales around in the bay and it's a good time of year for them. Uh, so we went out on that trip and we saw, um, first of all, we saw a lot of fog. A lot of fog. It was so foggy. And it was It was also like 7.30 in the morning, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. But it was, it was like intensely foggy. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was, it was rainy that whole trip, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 We had interesting weather. Um, 
And, oh, it was also, they were having big wildfires. Oh, big fires. Yeah. 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 So it was foggy and smoky. Um, but we, once we got further offshore. Which makes for a great yeah, mm-hmm. it, it burned off, and then once we got further away, it got a lot better. Our visibility turned out pretty good. Um, we saw a super active juvenile humpback who was awesome, going crazy. Uh, we got some good pictures. We'll put a link to our, our own tale on Whale Tales uh, in the show notes. But yeah, we got some good pictures while we, Nicole, <laughs> got some good pictures. Uh, Lindsay and I mostly uh, were focusing very hard on not being seasick. Um, it was super rough. Super, super rough and super cold. But I said, yeah, it was super swelly, um, which is oh so, so bad. Um, but it was a great, a great day regardless. And then, and then, and then um, we saw a few humpbacks. And, but, you know, I think everybody on the boat was like, yeah, there's humpbacks. We'll see. We'll come back if we don't see, if we don't see anything else. And then we saw like a thousand Rizzo's dolphins. Oh my God. So awesome. Yeah. It was so crazy. There were just dolphins everywhere. They're so funny looking. Um, Rizzo's, they're super like scarry and scratchy and they have funny, pointy, like blobby melons. Ugh, they're great. And it was my first time seeing them. And I think it was yours too, right, Sarah? Yes, I believe so. Because I remember I was freaking out, like completely freaking out. Not only because, I mean, it's a species that we've never seen before, I had never seen before, but also when you're on the water... And for those of you who had the experience, you know exactly what it's like. But dolphins can actually come out of nowhere. Like, you have no warning that they're coming. And then all of a sudden, in this particular case, there were, like you said, Sarah, like there was at least a thousand versus dolphins everywhere. And it's just such a crazy, like, where did you come from? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and resales are not very ac- acrobatic, even. No, but they were, still, but they were just like, they were everywhere. Yeah, and they were kind of like bow riding or at least swell riding because it was very swelly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, yeah, it was super cool. And then, so yeah, they kind of moved on probably following a, just some food, obviously. Um, and then we saw some humpbacks um, further out. So we figured we'd head over there and um, we were on our way. And then our captain saw some like short, funny looking blows. And um, we went to investigate that because... Uh, Weird looking blows are usually weird looking whales, and it turned out to be true. Uh, we went and saw a small group of Baird's beaked whales. Like, yeah, this was insane. It um, was. Like, Baird's, any beaked whales had never really even been on any kind of like bucket list of animals I was excited to see no. because they're so rare <laughs> that, like, you can't try to see them. No. So, um, Baird's beaked whales are super duper deep diving whales. So we watched this group there where were six of them. We found out, uh, once we'd been there for a while, um, and they were just sitting on the surface breathing, basically recovering from their like crazy, crazy, crazy deep dive. Um, so they're not like super active, but they were moving around a little bit and you get to see, um, bits and boat bits and pieces of them. So including had... their rostrums, which are super <laughs> weird looking. So, so... Whales. And they're so, so weird looking. So <laughs> Yeah, so the theme of this episode of the podcast is um, whales with strange rostrum areas. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And ears. Um, So, and ears. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we ended up sort of just taking our lunch break there waiting. um, And, like, with the engine off and the swelling of the boat, oh, Oh. man, I was not feeling well. You guys were not in good shape. Like... The yeah. naturalist was very excited, as you would be if you were away yes. watching naturalists. Like, this is a really big deal. 
And so we waited for them to dive and then come back up. And I, it wasn't 45 minutes, which I, I think is about their maximum, but it felt, it was a long time and it felt like 45 minutes. And I yeah. ate like 10 cheese strings because cheese is salt. And that was basically the only thing that could get me through not barfing on everybody. Sorry. <laughs> Listeners. I don't think I ate anything. <laughs> I think I just sat outside and but tried to it stay cold. It was rough. And so the second time they came up, I was like, I don't care anymore. I was still really excited to see them. Well, I think like the biggest thing for you two was while we were waiting, because you guys were both feeling so sick, we also knew that there was no guarantee that we were yeah. going to see them again. Yeah. Like, it's entirely yeah. possible. Like, they don't surface in the same place everywhere. And so they were going to be underwater for like half an hour and they, we could just miss them when they came up to the surface. And that's why it's so hard to f- plan to see beak whales is because if you don't catch them on that recovery time at the surface, you're who knows where you're going to find them. So you guys were just like, they're, we're really not feeling it and we might not even see them again anyway. So like, oh. yeah. And at this point I was like, we're not going to see a blue whale. So why did I even go whale watching? Oh. <laughs> but, but, but we did luck out. Um, yes. They basically resurfaced like within a hundred meters of the boat. Yeah. Basically like it was insane. Um, or within a hundred meters of where they had been at the surface before. Um, they are so weird like they're way bigger than i thought they were for some reason i think because they're quite slim like they're they are as almost as long as a sperm whale but like their width their girth is way smaller than a sperm whale. yeah and i think i don't know the numbers but i know other beaked whales are much smaller than that so i mm-hmm. think i just assumed that all beaked whales were like dolphin size yeah, yeah. but no definitely yeah. not so crazy um yeah and so we got to like see their melons and their big long beaks like so weird looking um and then they dove back again so they you know sort of did the same thing like 20-ish minutes on the surface recovering and then they did a big another big dive and thankfully we didn't wait again i don't think anybody on the boat was (laughs) gonna be ready for that um and like i'm so glad that like even though i felt really sick a that we saw them again but also that i like understood what a special opportunity this was like it totally like if i hadn't cared about seeing beaked whales i would have been oh i would have been so pissed yeah (laughs) i would have been so upset um but it was really really cool and then we started moving again and then everything got better because oh yeah just like bobbing uncontrollably Mm -hmm. in the ocean oh gross don't talk Um, about it too much i don't want to throw up in my bedroom and and also there was a a good breeze again um yeah yeah, so and then on the way back we saw some more humpbacks which was pretty cool and we also saw california sea lions Mm. um and maybe we should maybe talk more about cooperative feeding in another episode but basically they've been seeing this cooperative feeding behavior in monterey bay um where the sea lions and humpbacks work together to forage um on on anchovies which is like the main forage fish in that area yeah Uh, It was so cool. So crazy. Like, crazy sea lions and the humpbacks just, like, all tangled together. Um, And then on the very end of the way back, we saw an albatross, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And also sea otters in the wild, which, like, I know they're everywhere in Monterey Bay, but I'm still not over it. Like, no. uh, Yeah. Like, you can see them from the boardwalk and from the aquarium. And, uh, yeah. So just, yeah, getting to see sea otters in the wild is always amazing. Um, But yeah, that's enough of non-cetacean stuff. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, that is our whale tale. And then we went to dinner and like didn't talk to each other (laughs) and like ate and went home and went to bed. Yeah, because we were so tired from being on the boat all day and also from like talking to each other all day. (laughs) It was a great day. 
It was a great day. So it is the worst month of the year and many people do tend to make New Year's resolutions for sort of what they would like to focus on or what they would like to accomplish in the year ahead. Uh, I know that usually those resolutions are maybe more health-based or family-based or fitness-based, but I was wondering if since we always try to include a call to action in each of our episodes. I was wondering if either of you made any sort of conservation based or earth health based New Year's resolution. Um, I can go. Mine's like, it's partially health based, but also is a little bit environment based. And that is to um, try to commute to work uh, active commuting rather than driving um, or even busing. Like I, so yeah, busing is still green and is a great backup, but uh I wanted to work on walking and running to work uh, as much as I can. Um, I have about a five kilometer commute, so um, it's a bit of a commitment, but it's been going really well so far now that we got over our snow situation. And yeah, <laughs> that's that's my green, green slash health related goal slash resolution for the year. Yeah, I don't think I have anything more than... I already do. Um, I've been reading up a lot about fast fashion, which I talked about in the last one, but I don't really buy clothes right now, so it's something I'll be think I'll think I'll be thinking about next time I go shopping and trying to maybe like uh, carve out some more time instead of just like dropping by a store, like going to um, a thrift store or secondhand store, or even somewhere like Winners or something that's or. Um, so I can get just spend a little bit more time on my clothing choices or save up and buy something that was a good piece that will last me forever, but maybe cost a little bit more than instead of buying seven, eight dollar tank tops or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of something I've been thinking about. But again, I've made it this far into winter without needing any new clothes. So I'm just going to wait until spring. And that's also kind of a good green resolution yeah. is... Um, just looking at your closet, going through it and seeing what you can wear and what you can change around. And I saw this post a little while ago of like, I don't even know some amount of like 20 tops and 10 pairs of bottoms or something and how many different outfits you can make with that. So just thinking about like versatile options that are already in your closet with uh, dig through, see what's in the back of your closet. You never know what you might find. (laughs) That is very, very true. All right, Nicole, what about you? So Jen and I sat down, my husband and I sat down um, after New Year's to just kind of talk about like what we wanted to focus on as a family this year and how we had felt in 2019. And we had been producing unintentionally, but it's still been happening, a lot of food waste. We just, we weren't really sure what James was going to be eating at first. So yeah, Jen and I... Uh, decided that because we had been feeling really really guilty about the food waste that we've been having as a family um, mostly because you know feeding a toddler is hard because they like something one day and then don't want any of it the next day (laughs) Um, and so we would like do our best to plan our meals 
for the family for the week, but we would still be finding that we would have just a lot of food waste at the end of the week and we were both feeling really guilty about it. So we decided as a family to just like really, really focus on when and how we buy groceries and buying less groceries every time we go, even though that means that we're going to potentially have to go to the store more often throughout the week. It still means that we're going to be able to do better at using the food that we have in our fridge because we also won't like forget that we have something in the back of the fridge because the fridge is packed and you can't see that it's there until it smells. Um, so that's a big thing that we're working on. And then kind of combined with that, I am also trying to go for a zero waste lunch as often as I can. I have been in my life very, very bad at A, eating lunch. And then B, when I do eat lunch, uh, usually just going and getting it from a ticket restaurant or something, um, if I have the ability to do that. And I, it's not good for me health-wise, but it's also not great for the planet, and it's also not good for my budget. So I have made a commitment to trying a minimum of three days a week. Ideally, I'd like to get to five days a week, but a minimum of three days a week to make sure that I'm bringing my lunch from home and in doing so that that's also a zero-waste option. Uh, so I invested in some of the beeswax food, beeswax food wrap. And even just when cooking at home, I got myself some of those silicone mats instead of using um, what is it, wax paper when I put stuff in the in the oven and stuff like that to just try and cut down on general kitchen cooking and food waste. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Good job, yeah. everybody. Okay, so I think this brings us probably to the end of our episode. As always, we will have the uh, What You Can Do page link in our show notes. Uh, you can find it on our website, also under Tales of Saving Whales. And it's just a really great list of small things you can do every day to help cetaceans and marine life and the planet. Yay! Uh, you can find all of our info on our website, whale-tales.org, including our merch, including on that merch page, some really, really nice reusable bags, if that's one of the mm-hmm. things that we'd like to do to help the planet. Uh, our Patreon is also there, linked on our website, with our newsletter perk and our merch discount, and now our new survey going out for the February Fun Flipper Fact. You can also subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, you can read over 700 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. Also, on our website, you can go there to share your story. Remember, it's not a big deal, it's not scary, and you don't have to be an expert. If you have seen a cetacean, we would love to hear about it and love to add your story to our library. So click the share link on our site or contact us on social media at whaletales.org or email us a voice memo and tell us about your incredible cetacean encounter. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. And an extra special thank you to our patrons on Patreon. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with more fun facts, stories, and super nerdy trivia. Except we won't be. We'll be back early with our mailbag episode in the middle of February. So keep an eye out for that. And send us your questions. Thanks, everybody. And have a really great day. Yay. Bye. 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 Bye.